today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. I don't care if you close your eyes in singing or if you don't close your eyes in singing, but I do care about whether or not you really worship or if you just come and you sing songs that are up on a screen or you just stand and listen while everybody else sings. We're to be worshipers and even the worst singer among us can worship him. Even without singing, If you don't want to sing, that's okay. But man, make melody in your heart anyway. I haven't kicked anybody ever out of the church because they sang bad. Okay, never. When we come before the Lord in worship, we need to actually worship. Pastor David wants us to put some thought into this. Are we actually worshiping the maker of the universe when we're singing? Are we letting those words to the song sink down deep? Maybe you've been struggling lately with this. Next time, try just listening with your eyes closed. Agree with the words to the songs as you talk to the Lord in your heart and take it all in. Oh, what wonderful communion is ahead for us with our God. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 14 with today's edition of The Open Word. those last days, I believe that perversion just multiplies. It's not added to in the last days. I believe that it just snowballs at that time. So in the midst of all of that, these 144,000, they've been marked, they've been sealed by God, they've been redeemed from amid all the fallenness of mankind that surrounded them. Question I've got for you tonight to ponder. Is it easier to become a Christian, and serve the Lord with a whole heart in a wicked culture or in a civilized culture? Ponder that for a moment. Is it easier to be full out for the Lord in a wicked culture or a civilized culture? The reason I ask that is because as I was studying this, I got to pondering this. You know, if you're in a wicked culture, there's just flat out a line in the sand. And that you live on this side of it if you are a believer, and you don't go on the other side. But in a civilized, quote-unquote, culture, sometimes that line gets a little shifty, doesn't it? And I think many times, yeah, it's hard to become and to stay and remain faithful to the Lord in a wicked culture, But at least then you know who you're standing for. I think that there's a lot of people today in our culture that consider themselves believers and consider themselves as followers of the Lord. But in reality, there's such compromise in their lives that the world can't really tell them apart from the world. You get my point? So in the wicked culture, righteousness stands out 
a lot more. Definitely you become a bigger target. But in the civilized culture, afraid too many times our lives blend in together way too much. Verse 5, he says, And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Without fault before the throne of God. You need to understand, these, these guys weren't perfect. The 144,000, they were still human. I do not believe that they were perfect, but it does say that they were without fault. It says deceit was not found. They do not practice deceit. But the real, real reason that they're able to stand before the throne isn't because they were without fault and they didn't practice deceit. The real reason that they were able to stand before the throne without guilt and without condemnation was because they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Just like anyone today, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb is what allows us to stand before the throne. There are many religions in the world even today that continue to push today, some that even have the name of Christian within their description of who they are, and you will never be able to stand before the throne according to their doctrines unless you're able to earn your way to that. Beloved, I know that I can't earn it. I know that I would fail absolutely miserably. Christ earned that for me. It's through the blood of the Lamb. They were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And that idea back in verse 4 when it says first fruits, that means like the cream of the crop, the first fruit offering. That was the best. That was the beginning offering. And that was the one that you would give. You know, now people, by and large, when it comes to giving to the Lord, let's face it, most people give from the leftovers, right? I'm going to take care of this, I'm going to take care of this, I'm going to take care of this. And if any of us left over, then I'll give to the Lord, rather than being first fruit givers. And these, it says, being first fruits to God, means that it was the best, it was the top. It was the best of the offerings for it. Let's look at verses 6 through 13. After the 144,000, now, here we see this word then. If you'll look with me, Back to chapter 13. The first word in chapter 13, anybody have that? Then. The first word in chapter 13, verse 11, then. Now in chapter 14, verse 1, it is then. Verse 6, it is then. Verse 9 is then. Verse 13 is then. Verse 14 is then. Verse 17 is then. Now, my question to you, does that always mean that it's chronological. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. You would think, yeah, it does, because again, just chronologically, I went to the store, then I went to the post office, then I went to the bank, and then I came home. However, if we were looking at an overview, and I'm showing you a grand overview, and I'm going to show you this, and then I'm going to show you this, and then I'm going to show you this, it does not necessarily mean that the time factor of these events are chronological. They're simply chronological in how and when John viewed them. Does that make sense to you? Am I explaining that well enough? Has anybody got deer in the headlight look on their face? You're wondering what I meant by what I just said. 
John is seeing them at different times because it's not just all revealed to him. He's seeing it separate times. But yet that does not mean that these particular events are all happening at a chronological time, simply said. So verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Verse 8, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Verse 9, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. I said all of what I said before I read this to say this. I look at verse 6 through 13 as more of an overview of some events that are either happening or will be happening. When we look down and start looking at verses 14 through 20, I believe that these are some events that will be happening, but it's an overview on those, and we'll look at those in a moment. We look at these three separate, these three distinct angels of verses 6 through 13. And I don't believe that these are angelic messengers that we've seen in the past, that this is the same angels that did this or that. No, number one, I don't think there needs to be. Number two, I just look at these and I see they have a pretty distinct purpose and a pretty distinct you know, portion in all that's going on here. John doesn't describe them very much at all. He just says that they are angels because it's not the angel that's important. It's the message that's important. The message is the issue here that we need to pay attention to. It's their message that we need to understand. That really needs to be the way it always is. There's so much in our culture today that focuses on angels, probably not even as much today as there was five or ten years ago. It seemed like there was this big move within Christianity. Everybody had their little angel pin, hey, this is my little guardian angel thing, and so much focus on angels. And I'm sure, I believe from everything that I read in the Word, the angels are going, hey, come on, man, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus, and it's about his word. And so these three angels come. They have a message that the messenger should never overshadow the message. Coming from the very midst of heaven, it says here, verse 6, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Not even so much as a physical place, as just the, the spiritual reality of where heaven is. Can anybody... Answer me that question, where is heaven? Can you point 
to where heaven is. We always think of it up, and it's great. But do you understand that heaven is just a whole other realm? It's just a whole other realm. It's not that we go to Mars and take a left-hand turn and get to heaven. We simply enter from this life into the presence of the Lord, into that spiritual realm. So from this angel flying in the midst of heaven with a powerful message, his message having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell in the earth. It's a message that is everlasting. It comes from eternity past and goes all the way to eternity future. It's a message that's as valid today as it was a thousand years ago, and as it would be should the Lord tarry. Well, actually, even if he comes tomorrow, the message still remains valid a thousand years from now and eternity from now. The message doesn't change. The message does not become void. It doesn't have an expiration date on it. It's the hope. The message is the everlasting gospel. It's the hope that's available for all mankind, and yet it's also the condemnation to those who are faithless. So in the same package is this wonderful message of great blessing to those who receive it, and it is a blessing of doom for those who reject it. It's the everlasting gospel. So what is the everlasting gospel? Just the simplicity of, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on to say that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. The one who believes in him isn't condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he hasn't believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that everlasting gospel, great message of hope to those who believe, and a great condemnation to those who are faithless. Hope for some, condemnation for others. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. The everlasting gospel, it's eternal. It's the everlasting plan of God to every nation, as he says, to every tribe, to every tongue, and to every people. For those that have entered into that covenant relationship with him, we're called to live our lives with a holy and with a reverent fear of God. What does he say? He says with a loud voice in verse 7, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. For those who are redeemed, our worship needs to be right now. We need to be, again, creatures of worship. And, you know, basically, I don't care if you raise your hands in worship or if you don't raise your hands in worship. I don't care if you close your eyes in singing or if you don't close your eyes in singing, but I do care about whether or not you really worship or if you just come and you sing songs that are up on a screen or you just stand and listen while everybody else sings. We're to be worshipers, and even the worst singer among us can worship him. 
even without singing. If you don't want to sing, that's okay. But man, make melody in your heart, anyone. I haven't kicked anybody ever out of the church because they sang bad. Okay, ever. Well, maybe that one. No, never, never have, never have. Again, we worship him now, the one who's creator of heaven and earth, the sea, the springs of water. There's soon going to come a time, really, when every knee is going to bow. The word says every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Everyone eventually will, but some it's going to be because they realize it, but they realized it so, so too late. That's why the angel calls out with a loud voice, declaring, hey, the hour of judgment has come. This is now his time from the very beginning. It's time now for the judgment. Man can make all of his plans, but it's God that directs the steps. It's not man's time. It's not our organization saying, hey, at such, such time. No, God has a plan, and it's been his time. It's been his organization since the very beginning. It's God's purpose. It's God's timetable, and he's not going to be rushed. He's not going to be delayed either. When the time comes, the time comes. Can somebody tell me when that time's going to happen? No, we don't know, do we? I believe it's getting very close. The more and more we look at the world today, you think, wow, it's just getting kind of crazy all over. It's not just crazy in Cleveland. It's not just crazy in the Middle East. It's just crazy all over anymore. And you look at the world and you think, oh, Lord, you know, how soon? How soon is it going to be? Verse 8, he says, another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city because she had made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This one has a different message. This is a message about the fall of Babylon, that great city. But more than just a city, we're going to see as we get into Revelation a little bit more that Babylon is literally the world's system. I believe that Babylon, when we look in Revelation, it is that that is the creative work of the Antichrist and of the beast. I believe that Babylon is that economic system and structure that the world's moving into. I believe it's the totality of the political and, and the governmental organization of the world and all of this that's being formed together. And we keep pushing toward a one-world government, this kind of thing. And I think it's all a setup. Just like last week, we were talking about you know the chips that you can put in the skin, the, the scan cards, all this kind of stuff. They're not the mark of the beast. I think they're just prepping things, getting us ready, getting people to say, oh, it's, it's, it's just a normal thing to take the mark, to take on the forehead or the hand. We're just getting ready for it. The structure of the world's governments right now, all of it just getting ready. And by this time, by the time we move to this portion of that tribulation period, all of the nations have become a part of it. Many of them have prospered in the midst of it, and yet all of them in one way or another have become dependent upon the system. And being dependent upon the system, you become dependent upon the Antichrist and upon the beast to survive within it. And now, because they all bought into it, the word says also that they shall all drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. He says in the last part of verse 8, she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
It's the wrath that God's going to be pouring out on the nation because the nations have bought into that. The system has bought into it. And whether they bought into it willingly or whether they were forced into it and yet just decided to go with the flow, they've rejected the plan of God and they've bought into the world system. The angel comes announcing in advance this collapse of the whole world structure, economic, political, the national financial systems, and all of this coming down. He announces it here, but it's not going to take place really until we get into chapter 18. In chapter 18, we're going to see absolute chaos. We're going to see anarchy. We're going to see misery. We're going to see sorrow. We're going to see all of this taking place. Why? Because the world itself is collapsing. Moving on here in verse 9. He says, then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in, a little bit? No, in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So this third angel follows with a loud voice. He brings this absolutely clear condemnation that it goes beyond now the governments. I think that's what Babylon is all about. Now we're talking about individuals. Now we're talking to those who thought it better to worship the beast rather than to repent and turn to Christ. They thought it'd be a little bit easier on them. Wow, if I turn to Christ, they're going to kill me. So instead of that, I'm going to play their game and go with them. And at the end of that, they face the wrath of God because they've rejected the plea of God on their life. The second angel spoke, I believe, when he speaks of Babylon, he speaks of nations and governments and organizational structure, all of that being annihilated. They're going to cease to exist. But now as this third angel cries out, he's crying about individuals and their fate is going to be much worse because as nations and governments just simply cease to exist, individuals, people themselves, they continue to exist, but they exist in eternal punishment. What does he say there? They shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. Some people say, hey, you know, a loving God would never be that merciless. God would never send anyone to hell. They've never read the Bible. Or they have read it with blinders on and says, I see what it says, but I don't believe it means what it says. And if that's the case for any of you, I have great sorrow for you. Because what do you believe? And how can you believe it? Do you pick and choose what you are comfortable with? Or do you sometimes read things within the Word and say, I'm not really comfortable with that, but I believe it because it's God's Word, and I'm just going to go that way.
Thanks for spending your time with us today on The Open Word. If you were encouraged by this time together learning more about Jesus and want to hear more, we'd invite you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes where you can get notified of the latest message as soon as it's available or find archive messages you may have missed. You can even find these teachings online at theopenword.com. There you can learn all about The Open Word and the ministry we're blessed to be a part of. In fact, Pastor David has a special message for you about how you too can be involved in sharing the good news through The Open Word. There really is something deeply refreshing about being a part of God's kingdom. Not only do I get to learn more about Him every time I open the Bible, but He's given me the great privilege of sharing His love with you. This radio ministry and others like it, they're a wonderful and powerful way that God is reaching people across the nation and well, across the world with the gospel. We're blessed to be a part of it. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. Would you prayerfully consider being a part of our financial support here at The Open Word? If you feel led to give, visit theopenword.com and click on the support option. That'll bring you to our secure giving page. Your gift will help us to continue to grow and spread the word of God. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord. Thanks, Pastor David. As our time with you draws to a close, know that we continue to pray for you and for more and more people to come to know Jesus through this ministry. Join us next time to continue studying Revelation right here on The Open Word.